<laughs> uh, have you ever seen um, Parks and Recreation? I need to. I oh. really, really need to. Okay, so this oh. reference is going to be lost, but there's this, they make fun of radio podcasts, like radio, TV, like talk show. Like, you're listening to K95, and this is jazz. Like, it's like this, yeah. it's funny. So, Let I feel like I do silence that. silence my phone, by the way. Oh, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Yeah, just, I have my phone everywhere as, like, an extension of my brain. And yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. very special. You know, we're cyborgs now. We're all cyborgs. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> oh, okay, so um, welcome to PhD Viz. Very excited. This is Liz. And this is Zine. And we're really happy to bring to you another awesome interview with another amazing um, a female graduate student that we know. And we're really happy to be able to bring guests to the podcast. Yeah. And so would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I'm Anna Waymack. I am yet another graduate student at Cornell um, in my third year of medieval studies. And while my work focuses on how we view old age in different eras, and particularly 14th century England, um, my work outside of the classroom has recently been focusing on sexual assault and the systemic harassment in academia. Wow, that's pretty... Pretty interesting. Can you, so I'm a STEM person. I am an engineer. And um, when you said medieval studies, I was, I was like, what? what? What do you, you, could you talk a little bit more about what you do? Or like, why you think it's, why is it interesting? Why do you, what do you find interesting um, about it? So you all had your podcast on beauty products. Yeah. How many products have you seen, not used, just seen, um, that are anti-aging? Bajillion. Anti-wrinkle. Yeah. Yeah. I have huge issues with that. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're starting to talk as a society about different sorts of discrimination. I think, on the whole, this is not nearly as bad as some, but nonetheless, we make aging this thing that no one wants to have happen to them. Yeah, we We very much have the mentality of the nursing home where you just shut people away, whether or not this is actually how it plays out. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the image. Um, we have shifting demographics and, and those themselves actually causing fear in some people. Um, you've got high-ranking officials in Japan talking about tube people who need to just hurry up and die. Oh my God. Um, some, some really terrible things. Um, oh. yeah, I, I try not to cite these things at parties because then everyone's depressed. Um, you know, what, <laughs> no, I'm excited. What has happened this is to interesting. the suicide rate of older adults in South Korea? Mm -hmm. Bad. Um, and so as, as we're going into changing demographics, and, and hopefully all of us are, in fact, getting olds. Mm -hmm. uh, olds, sorry, old. <laughs> I, I think I will be an awesome old lady. Um, since I also love medieval literature, I wanted to see, like, what's different? Uh, some stuff's better, some stuff's worse. For example, I don't think you think your wrinkles are signs of sins that you may or may not be acquiring <laughs> right now. Um, if you include drinking and being in the public sun too much. Okay, maybe. maybe. Sun as sin, sure. Um, <laughs> but just different concepts of what is the role of older people mm -hmm. in society, um, 
what are the different ages? Because like 21 only holds meaning for us for drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Which doesn't even hold across the largest um, unguarded border in the world in Canada because ours right? is 19, right? So mm. it shows the arbitrariness of that type of temporal demarcation. So essentially having fun with literature I really love on a topic that matters to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really so interesting. And as a sidebar about the um, anti-aging, mm-hmm. many, like um, things, um, what some of my colleagues always laugh about is that when they say like this has collagen, this has hyaluronic hyaluronic acid, mm-hmm. and as people who I know who use that, we know you can't just add it on the top of your skin; it's going to somehow incorporate and make yeah. your skin better. Right. And so there's this there is a fallacy to this as well um, that. You're putting this on your skin that doesn't... You just put mm-hmm. it on top, though. It doesn't really... Although there's also some wonderful things that seem to just <laughs> hang around. Um, but we still put it on. So yeah. so I just did my A exams here. And one Yay! of the things is on, like, what's the medieval Latin medical approach to aging? Mm-hmm. Uh, snake venom and snake flesh is supposed to be very good. Okay. Only if you're already <laughs> somewhat old. Um, differing perceptions of how you should prepare it or use it topically or orally. Um, and, and as I'm pulling this all together, I get a little sample of synthetic snake venom. Wow. Which you're supposed to put on your face. <laughs> so as not to show signs of aging. Yeah. From um, Birchbox. Ah, uh, from Meanbox. Oh, okay, Meanbox. Mm. Oh, I also have Meanbox. Wow. But... But yeah, nice little modern packaging and uh, snake or something, a a little slightly twisted uh, word close to snake. And it's like, okay, um, committee was not expecting me to bring it in to the (laughs) exam, but... Oh, man, I wish I could have done that. Like, so, before my presentation, here's some snake oil. Some some snake juice. Oh, it's bad you can just, like, bring this... Take that. Yes. <laughs> Give me my degree. Um, <laughs> so that's actually really interesting. I'm glad we talked about that. I'm going to look that up a little bit, actually. Yeah. But um, so Anna is an awesome person, and like her work is uh, super interesting. But also um, for the, our friends in academia and, and outside, like one thing that's been making a lot of waves in mainstream news has been how high-profile sexual harassment uh, cases like Jeff Macy, um, in astrophysics and philosophy, mm-hmm. um, probably in another different co- number of different disciplines. Uh, it does not seem confined to yeah. any one discipline. Yes, this week, it's, we a, it's so the, pervasive. The dean of the Berkeley Law School. Oh yes, no. resigned. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, yeah. He's going to fight it in court now, which is its own yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. But, but um, so this is. It's not like these things are suddenly happening now. It's like the cult- culture is starting to change, and I'm really proud to know Anna is one of the people who's working towards this because for the last couple of years she's been working on putting together a national organization specifically around um, sexual assault and sexual harassment concerning graduate students. Yeah. Um, so for the past several years now we've had a huge undergraduate movement mm-hmm. um, that really is redefining what consent is mm-hmm. in our culture, how universities should be handling this stuff. Um, They've brought in existing federal civil rights legislation, Title IX, um, to use as a tool, saying this is a gendered issue that is affecting our ability to get an education. Mm -hmm. And therefore, universities need to be making certain accommodations so that it does not prevent people from graduating. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I'm guessing many of you have, if not seen The Hunting Ground, yes. seen the Oscars just now, where <laughs> Lady Gaga had many other sexual assault survivors who were featured in the Hunting Ground documentary up on stage with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and they've all got matching tattoos now, mm-hmm. which is adorable. Aww. But in all of this, we're not talking about graduate and professional students. Yeah, and I'd like to add, like, so Cornell did do this big free screening of the Hunting Ground, and there was a panel afterwards, and mm-hmm. I was the one who submitted a question and, and asked, like, so what happens to graduate students? And people were sort of at a loss because the conversation, and it's good that the conversation is happening, is so much oriented around undergrads. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, like, for both the, the question, like, my question was, like, okay, we've been talking about, what about training for graduate students about, like, when you, we are in positions of power over undergrads, yes. but also what if we are, the, the, are receiving sexual harassment? And it was sort of awkward how the, this panel didn't really have any answers. Nope. Because we don't fit anywhere, right? I mean, somewhat to the union conversation we were having, are we workers or are we students? Because they pick and choose whenever we are which. And because we don't have an actual place, mm-hmm. it means we also don't get any of the protections that we would have gotten if we were just literal actual workers yeah. versus even being actual students. And, and further confusion around that. Um, I was getting a question just this week from a group at Cornell, you know, oh, we've got this problem in our lab, but, like, it's a fellow grad student. Are we workers? Or, like, are we employees? Are we mm-hmm. students? How do we even handle this? What, what can even be done against a grad student? Like, you can't expel or suspend a grad student. And I'm sitting there like, well, A, for now, yes, we're students. But B, you can yeah. Yes, it's our place of employment, but you can. Um, and so just knowledge of where we fit into the system, who to go to, what's even available mm-hmm. yeah. is not well publicized. Mm-hmm. Um, to their benefit, I think. It's almost like I, they want it to be ambiguous. I mean, by they, I mean like administration. So, so I think this varies university to university and even within the admins. Um and I think the ones who deal with grads and sexual assault here really do have the best intentions. Mm-hmm. And, and what they've been running into and, and what their main concern is, is student privacy. Mm. You know, we don't want to say, oh, we, we make this accommodation because that may point out the student who got it and expose information they don't want out there. Right. Um, but the flip side of this, and something we're working on now is, this means if you're being harassed in the lab or something, you have no idea. Well, if I report a professor, for example, what happens to my funding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else out there for me? What happens to your letter of recommendation? Uh, that they don't have good answers for. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, but they, they, can't, they actually have a lot of flexibility for finding different sources if, if your time to degree is mm-hmm. really being impacted if you wouldn't graduate otherwise or if you just need to get out of a particular section yeah um, and I know of situations where that's happened right. but I will add that the extent that they had to go to to finally get that kind of intervention where yeah. they had the protection of the graduate school yes. was was really extreme um, especially because I, I often think that when people think of what an appropriate protocol is for a situation, they always have like a mentally healthy um, 
intact yep. grassing it in mind and Which not the mindset of someone not. who's actually struggling so yeah. me yeah I'm gonna walk down the street I actually feel quite fine today but if I were depressed if I were going through some issues if I felt like the whole world was imploding on me it's, if my advisor's office is next door to that one of gra- of um assault survivors who get PTSD yeah um, I am one of them and now you can't and you know most days whatever I'm a little jittery some days it's like, I don't want to leave the house. And yeah. want is not quite the right word there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, navigating this stuff is And people don't difficult. think about that. And they wonder, well, how come you didn't yeah. do something? And it's, well, I, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so all of that. And also department cultures. Yeah. Um, hearing from one that I, I cannot name... Um, as I was talking about this sort of thing with a friend in a different department, and the friend tells me, oh, well, I had this problem, but it's so clear that you're supposed to solve things Mm in-house, and that if you went over their heads, as it were, to the admins who are supposed to actually deal with this stuff, you would be ostracized to the point where you'd have to leave. Yeah, because you'd be seen as a traitor. Yeah. Um airing dirty laundry elsewhere, or just not trusting them, even if you might have good reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of it, where if it's grad student against grad student, it is in some ways easier. There's not as much of the power dynamic. If you're bringing something against a faculty member, you're here for, what, three years, four, five, mm-hmm. hopefully not ten, but <laughs> limited. Their colleagues been here for ages, will be here for ages. People don't move around that much in academia. Right. And um, I guess also to make explicit to our, our listeners, of course, we're all like we're speaking and there's still this it's very much indicative of the culture that we're in, that there's this atmosphere of fear, not just for the people yes. who are experiencing it right now, but mm-hmm. like we can't name names or places. This is also so pervasive. This isn't about Cornell. This isn't even yeah. about the higher profile cases. This is, or any particular department, like for, there's the hashtag astro, um, SH that was going around, yes. high length for an, an astro, astronomy, but this is so pervasive. Um, and yeah, so yeah. this is something where. Last year, last spring, um, another student here, Rose Agger, and I were talking and realizing there's nothing for grads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no conversation around this. And she'd been organizing on campus long before around this, except there hasn't been anything to organize. Um, and so she and I started this mm-hmm. website that's turned into a, a growing community. Um, What's the website? ixgrads.org. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Title IX. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could link this for our listeners. That, and put that it would the be great. Um, yes, if you're listening and you're at Cornell or any other university, we would like to know your experiences. Please <laughs> tell us um, anonymously if you need to. Um, but this has been part of the problem. She and I can have our names out here. Um, the rest of the group very much would like to stay anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have ongoing cases. Um, some of them have very, very real fear of professional retaliation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I am able to be open about my own assault because it happened entirely outside of academia. And so it's clear when I speak that I'm not talking about anyone in my field. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about my advisor, who is really, really awesome, <laughs> and also gives me the occasional warning. Like, remember, 
what you say has consequences, and, and I think worries about how this may impact mm-hmm. my job prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how do you actually manage that? Um, so one of the things well, that we talk about is here. there's the work that we do, right? There's the medieval, there's the talking about mm-hmm. aging, which everyone's going to love to hear about. And then there's this other piece, which is very much also part of you and the scholarly work, I would say, that you do, but it's not related and it's more sensitive. So how do you combine those? Well, the interest in aging is actually a huge help here. If oh, I really? can't find a job in academia, I am still pretty darn sure I can find a job in America mm-hmm. in five years from now working with how we deal with old age. Mm-hmm. I think the numbers are in my favor there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I would be happy with either. Both would give the meaning that I want to the work I do. Um, So I'm willing to say, all right, if this dooms me, I'll be sad about it. Mm -hmm. But I won't be, you know, stuck without options. Yeah. Um, And I feel like this also comes to a lot of topics that we talk talk about um, for a lot of different types of discrimination in the academy. It's like, mm -hmm. when when can we really take a stand when we're so vulnerable? Like, what is the case that is going to be high profile? Like, what is worth risking reputation for? Yeah. And it's like this balance that we all have to do about personal survival and also thinking about um, like how do we change the system, but also how do we survive in the system at the same time yeah. to change it. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. I'd rather go back to the, um, the sexual harassment. And so as someone who I'm guessing is an advocate for this and you talk with many people, what would you say are some of the issues for graduate students, right? So we already established that we're off in a gray area. So what other so, issues come up? So this is not the sort of issue you're thinking of, Okay. but data. Oh, okay. We don't have good numbers. We don't have even a good picture of what goes on because not just at Cornell, but everywhere, these things get hushed for, for the student's own sake or for the system's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the recent AAU survey, um, but because of the nature of who responded to that and didn't. What we really get from that is, okay, we're on par with other institutions, and of grads who are reporting harassment or assault, this percentage say it was a faculty member, a staff member, a supervisor. Um, But we can't say this percentage of grads are harassed because the statistics, the, the, the way they selected respondents just mm-hmm. wasn't quite rigorous enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we don't know the scale of the problem, and we're only starting to get these cases, like with Marcy. Um, mm-hmm. California just keeps giving us so many <laughs> yeah. examples of they what do. not to do. It's like a, a monthly... And a, and a bunch just in Berkeley alone, of course. Yeah. Um, but before that, we, we didn't have these stories at all, except for the sort of whisper network. Mm-hmm. Which I don't mm-hmm. know about your fields, but but mine definitely. Oh, don't drink too much around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know, if you're looking for people to work, you and he might not be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, which is helpful when you get that sort of advice, but as a system, it doesn't work. It's mm-hmm. going to miss people, and it just creates even more fear in some ways. Of like, I don't know what's going on with any of these people. I don't know who's safe and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, 
I guess also what I think sort of perpetrates the Whisperer Network, you've been talking about how the university doesn't publicize it to protect students, but I think it's also just as much when I try to look into some of these things that the, the administration side is like, well, people might be getting punished, but we can't tell you what it is yep. or if anything is happening. So yep. even if you report and manage to get to that level, like you don't know what the consequences are. And one thing that we've been seeing, I forget which high profile case it was, uh, where the faculty member was just shifted between different universities, including Princeton, and, um, and wound up at University of Chicago, right, where it yeah. all finally blew up. Yes. Yeah, that we're seeing something similar, perhaps, um, I don't know if this is a really good analogy, but similar to like the sexual abuse scandal with the Catholic Church, where there's perhaps a similar sort of professional secrecy going on, and the way that certain power ends up being perpetrated, and yeah. people who are powerful enough just get shifted around. Yeah. So yeah, it's like you cover it up, and you hope that they go to a new place and they reform themselves, but what ends up happening is the perpetrator gets another opportunity to reinvent mm-hmm. themselves. The grad student quite often has to remain, and I don't think the outcomes are often very good for those yeah, grad students. but we don't like, have the numbers. We yeah. don't have the numbers. Um, so medieval studies, particularly Anglo-Saxon studies, just had a flurry of activity around this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, someone was actually naming names, and, and only people who they had directly seen do this sort of activity. Um, I mention it to a professor here who goes, oh, did they name so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Yes, they had. And apparently this was an open secret. Mm-hmm. So-and-so harasses female grad students. I'm a female grad student. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And I applied to that university. Yes. Um, and, and so it, it seems like on the one hand, all of this information is floating around. People know about it. Mm-hmm. And on the other, they're able to dismiss it as, it's isolated. It's not our field's problem. Or maybe it's just mm-hmm. that one problem. We don't need broader policies. We don't yeah. need to change that much. Or sometimes, I remember one solution I've heard from other universities, like, oh, this person's had difficulty with students. Just give them a research-only position. Just take them away from teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ends up being a... A weird perverse reward for bad yeah. behavior. Uh, the well, the case in one of the cases coming out of California um, that's kicking up fuss right now is at UCLA, a professor who harassed female grad students and was given a three thousand dollar fine, um, restrictions on when and where he could meet with grad students, and a semester of sabbatical. Oh, oh, well. He went off to Europe, did some stuff, and is coming back now. Yeah. Um, And maybe, um, so I know, again, it's going to be anecdotal because of lack of data, but can you talk about some of the things that, um, in your experience, or uh, trends that happened to students after this kind of incidents? um, I know that's a good question. Well, I'm mostly hearing from people who are either in grad school or who have managed to stay in the field and are, I, I would say, young faculty, but actually I've heard from our parents' generation and older mm-hmm. um, that this has been around yeah. in similar forms for a while. You know, do, uh, I, I think a common one is the ones that I hear about, and I wonder if this is because they're the ones that can't really be shared, is the advisor or, or supervisor uh. somehow being like, well, I can get you this publication, I can get you this grant, something, or 
or the flip side of that, well, I can't really work with you while I, you know, am not sexually satisfied. Yeah. Um, so, so variations on that. And if you don't comply, then good luck proving that it's retaliation when you find your time to degree slowed or recs not available. Mm-hmm. And if you do, again, good luck getting through, knowing what's available at the universities to bring a case and then good luck finding a new advisor. Starting not a new having, project. Not having your reputation in the field poisoned. Yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. Um, I, I think when it's grad against grad, which, which honestly is probably more frequent, um, at least the systems that we're somewhat used to how things get handled from undergrad, mm-hmm. um, and it seems more equitable and normal. Um, so while it's... I am going to ballpark, and again, we don't have good numbers on this, I would guess it's around a quarter to a third that faculty at your institution or elsewhere um, harassing. Um, that's where the problems are right now. That's where we have no system in place to really not only deal with it on a campus, but then deal with the ramifications professionally. Um, so this is another avenue I'd like to see change on, which is conferences. Um, mm-hmm. which is where some of the Marcy stuff came up. Um, they're just now realizing that maybe conferences should have behavior codes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who enforces that? How should it be enforced? Do the conferences talk to each other? Like, we have nothing yeah. in place yet, really. It's interesting because, of course, there's this, a parallel conversation going on just within fan cons, like, right. like very, in sci- science fiction conventions. That's been a really hot topic as well. And I've been in dense communities that... Are, are having this sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only a few bad eggs, but but then you have new people coming and never coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I think we're starting to see progress there, but that's going to be step by step in each field. Yeah, the, there's such resistance to talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, and again, right, we, we've already said that there's this nuance because it's whispered. We all know about right. it, but it's like we don't want to talk about it. It's almost like in everyone's household, you know, there are these the family secrets and like, mm-hmm. well, well, we're not going to talk about that. We don't talk about your cousin mm-hmm. and what happened to them. Right. And except it's, this, it's university-wide and we're kind of hiding underneath the idea that academics are pure and intent and these yeah. kind of mentorship mentee-mentor relationships. I'm the, the protege, right, and the, the mentor, right? And mm-hmm. this is the only way it's supposed to be. Why is there a problem? But there's a huge problem. Um, or even if there wasn't a problem, but, but it's suspected that the university would let there be a problem or the department, mm-hmm. um, that can still have an effect. Um, I've, I've known of cases where it was just assumed that... And, and usually this is gendered, but not always. It, I, I hear from a number of guys as well, um, but assumed that a female grad student working with a male advisor mm. had a sexual relationship, mm. yeah. only made progress and got jobs or grants or whatever through that relationship. And she, or sometimes he, will be acutely aware 
of the rumors, and the professor can be oblivious. Yeah. Um, and it just... Th- th- this contributes, because they're not always hearing the blowback, especially when they haven't actually done anything. Yeah. Um, but as long as we permit someone else in the department to have multiple affairs with grad students or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it taints the culture yep. in many different ways. It's also, it's always odd to me um, talking about affairs or this kind of relationships mm-hmm. because some of the things I've heard from the faculty standpoint have been along the lines of, there's nothing wrong, we're, we're all adults, or this just happens when you're this close to people, it's just going to happen. There is nothing wrong. Right. And it seems to violate the trust that you have, that the student at least has, because I guarantee you, most students don't walk in thinking, I'm going to learn how to have sex with someone. They go, yeah. I'm going to learn science. I'm going to learn how to think but critically. But we do have, you know, everywhere these cases where it's worked out. It's true love. They've got the, the 2.4 children and the golden retriever. Yeah. Yeah. So how that sanitizes everything in retrospect. And, and those life. are the only ones we see afterwards. Yeah. It goes wrong. Mm. The person who's not in power leaves yeah. academia. And yeah. Sort of just, yeah, blacklisted in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's incredibly frustrating trying to change people's perception when it all is this rumor, whisper, and, and then trying to connect it for them that even if it is just rumor and whisper, which it's not, it still hurts everyone. Mm-hmm. It still hurts all of our reputations. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just thinking, um, of course, of cases where people have organized either survivors or like friends of survivors against issues like that. And when you don't see any action, mm-hmm. you disillusion so many different people and you're losing good people in the profession. Um, and it's just like just these innumerable little ways that perhaps you're preventing advocacy and your field from growing and the research from growing. It just yep. it, it just becomes incredibly insidious in terms of what it can do to change the climate of a department and of a whole discipline. Yeah. Yeah. So why is this topic so important to you? Why did you decide to focus um, on this? So three years ago, I was assaulted. Um, I was in bad shape at the time and then slowly getting better. And, and as I got better, realized, okay, no one does tend to talk about this, and we're only going to change the stigma around it by being open. Um, I was in a really safe place. Again, Cornell has been phenomenal for me. My department program actually is incredibly supportive. Um, my family knew, and they weren't going to judge me, um, which is actually huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never going to have to interact with my rapist again. Um, so essentially, there were no consequences for me obnoxiously telling everyone, hey, this is a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reaction to that sort of cascaded. I, there's a bunch of people who just don't know how to react and, and can't believe anyone would be that terrible and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and want to help and, and yet also want to think this is isolated. Yeah, this one bad egg. Yeah. Just something yeah. that happened. Who are you? I'm so sorry. What can I do to help? I can't believe people would do that. Mm-hmm. But then the other part was hearing, and, and now it's about once a week, from people who can't tell their stories. 
um, one of my birthday parties, uh, a friend goes, oh, hey, so this Title IX stuff in the news recently, like, how big a deal is that? And everyone was drunk enough at this point that all of a sudden, half the women there are sharing stories. Um, literally, half. And, and the poor guy who asked, you know, and just stepped into this is sitting there, like, eyes getting bigger and bigger and, like, on the verge of tears. It's like, no, this is, oh. this is what's going on. And so hearing these stories where I can't tell anyone this, I can't do anything about it, but my advisor, but my committee member, but this prominent guy in my field, it's like, what, why don't we have something? Um, why aren't we having these conversations? And, and there are, as I've been learning, mm -hmm. so many reasons, the inertia. We're all grad students. We've got other stuff we need to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to organize grad students across the country turns mm -hmm. out to be difficult for all of us. We all yeah, drop no. the ball at times. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will bury myself for three months preparing for the A exams. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I was uh, going to say that, like, the, the anecdote that you just gave very much reminds me that often when I have conversations, um, so in our position as graduate resident fellows talk, talking to undergrads and we're in a position to course give them a lot of advice on all these type of things and I've talked to some about sexual assault and they were like oh well I don't know anyone you, you know? damn well do I, you damn well do but also it's like it's this weird self it's this self fulfilling prophecy that if you're the type of person who says the type of thing of course no one's going to tell you yeah because that's you just demonstrate how unsympathetic you are yeah. Um, yeah. I was also going to go back to Liz's earlier point where people are excusing professors. Like, there's this weird sort of resonance of, like, the sort of rhetoric where they say boys will be boys instead it mm -hmm. becomes a variation of professors will be professors that, like, goes across mm -hmm. the gendered lines but mm -hmm. also, like, has a particular power dynamic. Like, oh, this is just what happens. Boys will be boys. Professors because will be professors. Because it's academia. It's yeah. boys, right? Mm -hmm. The professor has tweed and a beard and... This is just how the system works. Especially in movie presentations. Oh, I yeah. was just thinking, you know, I'm blanking on the actual names, but the idea of the student hooking up with the professor, it's kind of a trope I that mean, happens. I was oh, yeah. so yeah. worried as I was watching, what is it, Saving Rita for the first time or something? Uh, I don't know. And also, isn't there a recent Woody Rita. Allen film that's also... Uh, I mean, well, I don't all Woody Allen films are about this that. type of stuff. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, oh, God, they're going to do the relationship thing. At, and at the end, nope. Subverted. And uh. it was just like, yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's never really um, complementary to the student's brain either. No. Mm -hmm. um, the professor has the knowledge. The student has life and the energy. Youth. And their nubile body. Yeah. <laughs> Joy. Yeah. It's like, yes, but revitalizing this middle-aged person's ennui. Mm -hmm. Right, and I'm all for having joy in life, and I'm, I'm also for, you know, hopefully making serious contributions to yeah. my field. And Which is interesting how the cycle, of, the natural cycle of academia goes into it, because mm -hmm. there's always going to be a new first year. So there's yeah. always going to be a fresh supply of people who don't know um, the secret. They don't know the whispers yet, and they also don't, right. they aren't privy to some of the politics that come into play. And so as a first year, I, let's say I'm a new student, I learned my lesson. Well, I'm now in the second year and it almost doesn't matter what I learned 
that person doesn't have to reform right. because there's always going to be a new first year. There's always going to be an 18-year-old undergrad. And what, you're going to tell the first year? You're going to tell the undergrad and let it get out to the rest of the department? Well, mostly they won't believe you because they don't... Talk crap about, yeah. Because you're going to be labeled as a person who always just talks crap. And, uh, yeah. and I think, yeah, I mean, that's the negative side. But the other side is that they just don't know what... Um, you don't have a foundation to begin on, so you don't know what you don't know. And so it's way more improbable for me to believe something bad, right? That whole, right. like, I can't believe things like that happen. And so when they do hear things like that happen, like, no, well, you're just negative, and I heard you're the negative person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, again, yeah, there's always and, a and new population of people. You should know better. That you was know, your fault. That, yeah. But obviously there's going to be red flags that why didn't you just walk away? Why didn't you report it early? Mm-hmm. Um, there's always something you mm-hmm. could have done that totally would have stopped it apparently mm-hmm. and, and somehow also not had any repercussions for you. Mm-hmm. Somehow. Mm-hmm. So would you discuss or would you like to talk about some things that you're currently doing? Like you mentioned the website. So, and So yeah, we... Well, first of all, if you are a student at Cornell, um, grad or professional, we're having an event, if I'm remembering right, April 12th at 5.30 at the Big Red Barn. Um, to have a sort of, well, something during the Sexual Assault Awareness Week that the undergrads are organizing mm-hmm. to actually focus this year mm-hmm. on grad and professional experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so come to that. Um, and tell us, tell us through ixgrads.org, tell me through Facebook, I don't care, what your experiences are, because we can't do much yet without knowing where the worst problems are, or even what the problems are. Um, part of the frustration with Cornell is, is that it's such an individualized approach to everything, and Mm -hmm. so they won't publish, like, a standard set of, and this will happen, and this is what we'll do for you. And at the same time, I can see why they can't, because mm-hmm. right. each case. Um, so tell us your stories, or what you've heard. Um, talk to conferences in your field, because this is one that doesn't directly attack the universities. Talk to conferences about, okay, hey, look what's going wrong in this other field that's totally not us. Let's preemptively mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. put something in place so that we don't have those issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and what is you... acceptable behavior? Mm. If someone's not following that, where do I go? And what do you suggest for people who um, maybe are on the precipice of those experiences? So in other words, I think there are people who have had experiences and now like, oh, what do I do? Mm-hmm. But there are those people who are kind of either in disbelief or may encounter a friend. Right. Or who just, they just How do you support don't this? yet believe. They don't yet know about that things like this can happen. And what would you... If it's someone who may be about to get into one of these? Well, no, not, not like, hey, I've been, I've, I'm offered, I want to deal with it. But I guess like there's this population of people who don't believe yet or they don't, have never experienced. So, but they hear the whispers, but they think it's not about them. So the false reports for sexual assault are on par with those of other crimes, which is to say they exist and they're very low. Um, mm-hmm. this, this fervor we see sometimes about, oh, but these are just people out to ruin young men's lives, mm-hmm. as it is with the undergrad organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is frankly kind of misplaced. Yeah. Um, and so, first of all, believe survivors. That, that was the message of the recent Oscars song. Um, that's something that's been going around. If, if someone is telling you that it's their experience, believe them. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if someone is passing along a rumor, make a mental note. Keep these mental notes, because I feel like a lot of what's happening when I talk to people who don't see the problem is that I tell them about something, and they forget it. And the next time I tell them about something, they're equally shocked and equally outraged and not mm. linking the events. And, and that way it stays isolated. So if you're not sure if this is going on, pull together, I don't know, a notebook for yourself, a Word document, something, and just write it out so you can start seeing what comes up. And if you're hearing nothing, it's because people don't see you as safe to talk to. Yeah. And I think perhaps another thing, which might relate to other conversations we have, like, don't play devil's advocate just oh for the God, sake of playing no. devil's advocate. <laughs> or like when we're saying about the false rape accusation, like I feel people often turn to that because of this general like attempt to make equivalence in any, any sort of conversation of like of some a racist incident or sexist or homophobic or a sexual mm-hmm. assault. It's like, oh, but what about the other side? And like it's sort of like this very simplistic argumentative mood move to try and be like as, as if it posits that both sides are equal. Right. Or the way that People sometimes think that de- being a devil's advocate is like somehow more intellectually rigorous because you're really yeah. testing the other person. But right. actually, sometimes you're being an asshole. I've seen this happen, um, particularly like within black circles. Like black, so I think I black men. So Bill Cosby. They, mm-hmm. There's this population of, of black men who will actually strongly support Bill Cosby. They actually there's a conspiracy theory. They actually think mm-hmm. that they're just trying to hold the black man down and they're just upset with all of his success and he's a good person and they're being falsely accused. So every time women say, hey, I've been sexually assaulted before, this is personally harmful to me that you're supporting Bill Cosby in light of this and there'll always be this little comment after this like, well, I can't judge him. I don't know who he is and I just know that, right. you know, like there's so many black men who are accused it's, of raping people and lose their football scholarship. The hers is like several dozen people by now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, oh. but it's really interesting in these little microcosms of. Um, I'm mean, not to say it doesn't happen to other communities, yeah. but I'm just thinking about um, those particular spheres that I'm yeah. aware. Yeah, it happens yeah. a lot. A lot like there's, I think, a, just an argumentative move to try and attempt objectivity or neutrality, mm-hmm. and when you actually examine it, it's not that. It's not that. Mm-hmm. And and in a culture that says so often you must be lying, if you're doing this to someone who for all you know, has their own personal reasons to care about the topic. Um, You are reinforcing that message of, you're lying, no one will ever believe you, just keep shutting up. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's his word against hers, then somehow, or his against his, somehow we always come down on the perpetrator's side, Mm -hmm. rather than change anything. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any final words or like, would you like to end on this note? Uh, honestly, I really want to recognize Cornell students because we have an unusually active group across so many fields right now um, among the grad and professional students. 
And this is, from what I've been seeing, unusual. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know what it is here, but we've got people talking, and this is great. Thank you all. I'm not naming everyone's names because I don't know who would like to stay quiet on their involvement mm -hmm. in this. Um, but particularly Rose Agar, who I am allowed to name. So Yeah, and you know, we like to thank you for being on the podcast, but also for being so willing to tell your story. I mean, I know you mentioned that you've been, you felt comfortable doing it, but it still, I, I imagine, takes effort and time and um, to, to be that person who then tells her story but also listens. It's the listening that really... Yeah? Yeah. Three of them can come in in a row and I can just take it as data and then the fourth for some reason comes in and just hits. Um, but, yeah. Well, I just heard like a buzzing noise. Right? What was that? Um, so I've been, I like to end things on a good note. And I was just <laughs> thinking, well, not a good note, but a different note. So going back to happy grad land. Um, so grad students get to know every pocket of their campus. Well, the ones that are relevant mm -hmm. to them. And so I'm curious, like, what's your favorite coffee shop on campus or your favorite place to be that's not mm. your office? Do I have to stick to on campus? Um, because no. just down the hill is Ithaca Falls. Okay. And it's coming from Chicago where, you know, we have Mount Trashmore, if you want to go <laughs> sledding. What? Okay. what? Oh, oh, a landfill that they covered with dirt <laughs> oh, wow. and trees now. Oh. And that's, that's our hill. Oh. And you call it Mount Trashmore. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and that, is, <laughs> that is the hill. Okay. There is no other hill. We don't have this, like... Oh, yeah, Chicago's Topography tour. thing that uh -huh. other places <laughs> seem to. Topography um, thing. It's been very confusing. I, I had to learn how to, like, park on hills. <laughs> Stuff like that. So, suddenly I'm somewhere with waterfalls. Mm -hmm. And all of the Ithaca waterfalls, but, but particularly Ithaca Falls, is just always mind-blowing to me, mm -hmm. always magic, and I can sit there with a book, um, and it's just incredible. I will be really sad to leave it. Mm -hmm. That is true. I, I miss being able to say, and I live next to a waterfall. Right? Yeah. It, it felt like very, like, yeah, I'm Friends cool. have visited, and they're like, wait, you, you live in Rivendell? Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes the way I think about it is that it would be really easy to defend ourselves if there was a zombie apocalypse. Because we're sort of because we're ringed by the gorges and the bridges, and you, they can't True. swim or something. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> there are a lot of zombies that fell down onto the gorges in order to make it over. But I feel like it's it's more uh, easily defensible because we are on a hill and uh, and ringed by. Well, if you're worried on that front, some of the laser physicists we know are trying to convince me to install lasers on the roof on mm -hmm. your roof of your as, house as a defense. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I, really I know where you live. Favor. I'm in favor of this. But, but their Pretty logic is, well, you want to be prepared, right? Zombie <laughs> apocalypse. Oh, so what come. are they trying to do with these lasers? Like, they just trying to burn people? or Just in case, oh. they, they want a laser system of some sort that I don't understand and don't care because they're not doing this. <laughs> or you could really entertain the cats in Fall Creek. 
Well, True. so I, I do, I work with lasers, so I'm kind of curious, like, I'm thinking of the beam size, and like, like, the lasers I work, you can blind someone, like, and you can burn, I've burned my shirt a few times, it's been misdirected, and most people who work with lasers, actually, um, like, if you check their eyesight, they've got little blind pockets, because of the, because of the laser beams, yeah, so usually most people end up having, like, but you have to, you know, it's not actually reassuring to hear that people who work with lasers, well, things get misaligned. The thoughts they do. They do. It's also a topic for multiple conversation. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anna. Oh, and um, any so any plugs, anything you'd like to plug that you're currently working on or doing? Really, just please talk to your field sponsors. Mm-hmm. Please tell us what your experiences are. Thank you so much, Anna. We'll be linking all the information in the episode description. And thanks for the PhD, guys. That's it. You're good.